Welcome to Comic Book Keepers, where we talk about comic book characters, their history, and their impact on our lives. I'm Chris, and today we'll be talking about D-list villains. That's right, we're switching things up and talking about the best of the worst. And to do that, I've brought in a very special guest, Mike from Tencent Takes. Hello. I, I was super excited when Lance first reached out to me about this, and as soon as he said D-list supervillains, my response was, you son of a bitch, I'm in. <laughs> I love it. So, yeah, this is something I've wanted to do for a while. We we is kind of do like a rapid fire, like just let's pick some clunkers and some <laughs> morts out there. Um, and I, I think they're really there's some really good ones. And I think just with, you know, shows like She-Hulk and um, mm-hmm. and animated shows that every once in a while they'll they'll pull out these D-list villains and they'll kind of use them and sometimes even flesh them out a little bit. It's or Suicide it's so Squad. F- or Suicide Squad. Yeah, I mean, just like all of Suicide Squad, basically. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, it, it's great. They they serve a purpose. Like, you can't have all A-listers, right? you right. you got to have some some bottom-of-the-barrel people. <laughs> that's, that's what makes um, Invincible so fun to read, is because you have really big villains, and you have some <laughs> villains that are just like, oh, that's your power? Yeah. Ooh, <laughs> sorry about that. <laughs> it's like, that's unfortunate. Yeah. So I can't wait to hear what you have. But but first, um, why don't you tell our our listeners, if they don't listen to Tencent Takes, a, a little bit about your podcast. Yeah, sure. So my friend Jessica Frazier and I started this up like everybody did during the pandemic, and we're still going. The whole thing is that we like to look at kind of the the weirdest, the silliest, the strangest moments in comic books, and then talk about how they tie into pop culture and history on a larger scale. Uh, and then every other week, we also do dollar bin discoveries, where we talk about one issue that we found in the dollar bins that fits a theme that we've chosen. So last week was our dollar bin discovery for the day after the 4th of July. So we did Stars yeah. and Stripes as our theme. Nice. But um, but yeah, there's a lot of weird moments in comic books. Like, did you know that Debbie Does Dallas has a comic book series? I I didn't know, but now I do, and and uh, I'm not surprised actually. But that's there's a lot of interesting comic adaptations. Yeah, the, um, shockingly better than you would expect. Like not not a good comic, sure. but shockingly better than you would expect. Yeah, someone had to be like, I wonder if if I should I use a vertical panel layout for the or maybe maybe it, the word bubbles uh is going to be like a font size twelve. <laughs> there's an entire issue where the whole thing is she becomes aware she's in a comic book. And then it gets deconstructed <laughs> oh. over time to the point where they're just like, uh, we ran out of time for art and lettering and inking. And <laughs> until finally the last page is completely, the last page is completely blank. And then the editor comes out and he has this whole rant where he's like, oh, this is why everybody's reading this comic. Well, maybe we'll be back on schedule next month. And it was very funny. It's very Deadpool. Yeah, it was. <laughs> Deadpool, very Deadpool, Deadpool of Deadpool. Debbie <laughs> to, to do that. Debbie does uh, Deadpool. Mm, yeah, mm, well, mm. that's probably out there somewhere, too. You probably, never know. yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, um, so what's what we're going to do here is we've each picked three D-list villains and we don't know each other's picks. So nope. we'll go back and forth and share our list. And as our guest, Mike, why don't you go first? <laughs> and um, we're, we're also going to not which is not for uh, not great for the listening audience, but we're going to share pictures when we um, when we talk about these villains. So kind of know what we're dealing with here. So who do you have to start us off? Uh, OK, so I think I am going to start us off with Wrathchild and it is all one word and it is. Child spelled C H I L D E. 
Oh, okay. Yeah, because is know. this is this person from the nineties? I'm just trying to. Oh, how did you guess? <laughs> I love it. I love it. Okay, uh, Wrathchild. I am sending you his picture. I can't wait. Oh my goodness gracious! <laughs> wow, this is like this is like uh, a, a a mix between like a mind flayer from D and D and like Mr. Mm-hmm. Sinister and, and like a, a luchador, a, a luchador. Yeah. It's very nineties though. Wow. Look at all of the different metal things on the side of his body. Just like randomly oh, yeah. placed. Ran- it's totally random. And then he's got the bare chest on like one quarter of his. Oh yeah. Torso. But he yeah. also has, eyebrows coming they're like almost like butterfly wings like for eyebrow or eyelashes <laughs> yeah. it's yeah it is the weirdest look and it is <laughs> it makes no sense yeah, uh, i like the little flappy like points that come down from from the mask it's like a it's like a reverse bandana kind of right? thing like that yeah. that's kind of a cool look actually i mean it's yeah it's interesting yeah, so Wrathchild, also known as Scourge of the Dark, Nemesis of the World, Leviathan, and the something. He never got to finish that sentence when he introduced okay. himself. Yeah. His real name is Dr. Philip Roth. He was created by Liam Sharp and Dan Abnett. And his first appearance is Death's Head 2, Volume 2, Number 1. Mm, Death's Head, okay. Yeah, <laughs> which Death's Head 2 is a lot of fun, but it is also the the very definition of 90s extreme with a capital X. <laughs> yeah, so, I, yeah, I could see it. Yeah. <laughs> Philip Roth was a medical doctor operating out of Chicago. Based on an old photo that we see on his desk at one point, he looks like a pretty nebbish dude before he became his villainous alter ego. And his previous life seems to be kind of a source of embarrassment for him. It's probably because in his mind he was like a lesser being, you know, and he doesn't want to acknowledge that. So he was a foot doctor. Probably. (laughs) Does it say what kind of does he just he's he doesn't he says something about uh, tending. What is it like tending the evils of the flesh or something like that? Oh, maybe he was a a dermatologist. Maybe that that would make sense. You know, specializing in STDs. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So the first time that we meet him, Rathchild comes to Paxton, Oregon, which is not a real place. Uh, he is searching for a MacGuffin called the Sapphire Lotus that is in the care of Death's Head and his sidekick, Tuck. They had snagged the Lotus during a guest appearance in another Marvel UK series called Warheads. And at this point in time, the Lotus is granting Tuck this wide range of ill-defined psychic abilities. However, Wrathchild is one of dozens of super beings who hear the call of the Lotus, and his first appearance doesn't exactly go well. He basically surprises Death's head and then he's more focused on threatening him and then pretty much knocks himself out when he walks straight into a support pillar while he's like mouthing off at the cyborg. Immediately after that, though, he has better luck because he meets Tuck and takes control of the Lotus and uses its power to open a dimensional portal for him and her to go through. And then he teleports them both back to his home in Chicago. The X-Men and Death's head follow the two back to Chicago where Wrathchild is, I don't know, set the sky on fire with psychic flames. It's its weird. It's vaguely sinister, but not well explained. And then, yeah. you know, this time the battle doesn't go well for the heroes. The Lotus has begun to, like, significantly augment both his and Tuck's powers. Tuck nearly kills Wolverine. And then Wrathchild notes that he senses something else approaching. And the two leave to go investigate. They leave the X-Men and Death's head to battle a group called the Raptors. The Raptors are basically like an army of 
what I can only call as giant sized techno goblins. They are. Oh, able... I thought they were just going to be actual raptors. Like, that would have been great. I would have been much more interested in it. But it's like, <laughs> no, they're like, they're like. 15 foot tall goblins with mohawks and like cyborg parts. It's oh, all right. Well, yeah, I, I, I can roll with that. Yeah, it's fine. It's, <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> There's much about this comic that hard is hard segue. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, it's basically Wrathchild and like the best way I can describe them is that like they, they are a group that they'll find an enemy. They'll lose the first round and then they regenerate and adapt and then they attack again. Um, they're, they're basically the Marvel version of the Borg. This oh, is okay. like, you know, sure. so yeah. Rathchild and Tuck end up encountering another group of Raptors in another part of the city. They make short work of them, but then the group regenerates and attacks again and takes them both out. And then they take the Lotus and Rathchild and vanish, but they leave behind this mortally wounded Tuck. And then it turns out that we find out that the Lotus and the Raptors were created by the same person. It's an alien person named Phaedra. We last saw her in the original Death's Head 2 miniseries when Death's Head mm. rescued her. And at that point in time, she was like showing some precog abilities and then she teleports and that's all that we know about her. She never came back after that until this point. Um, now it's revealed that Phaedra rules over a pocket dimension and had created the Sapphire Lotus to grant her uncontrolled power in the realm. It sounds like it was kind of like a focus for her power to help her manipulate everything and whatever Lord chaos and master order arranged for the Lotus to be stolen, which is how it eventually wound up on earth. The Raptors were operating under her orders to recover the Lotus. Wrathchild, meanwhile has absorbed so much of its power that the Raptors can't actually distinguish between him and the Lotus, which is why they took him and they've returned to her realm. And the problem is, is that because of his link to the Lotus now Wrathchild is the de facto ruler and he has been granted absolute power and now commands the Raptors himself but he's also like showing a lot of monstrous mutations due to all the power that's infused him. It's sure. It's a weird look. It like, it's kind of nonsense. Um, Corru- corruption. Yeah. In its purest form. Yeah. So this all started when he got called by this Sapphire Lotus. Yeah. And, and he was like, this sounds like a, a good idea. A good career move. He's like, I need to make myself a costume. And then I am. And then I'm driving to Chicago, from Chicago to Oregon. It's like, what is the road trip? like? I don't. So here's the other thing about this is they refer to it. They refer to Paxton, Oregon as middle America. And I'm like, boys, I can tell you're from the UK. Yeah. And you didn't really study your geography because I'm like, as someone who has lived in the Northwest. Yeah. Northwest is, is a little different than middle America. And, and they refer to like corn being grown to. And I'm like, they don't grow corn in Oregon. At least I don't think they do. <laughs> like, mm. If the geography influenced what kind of villain he was, he would be wearing like, you know, a, a flannel around his waist and a backwards hat. And like, oh, man. Was, like early 90s grunge. And he'd be like, Rathchild. <laughs> he would have been the. He would have been like Adam Extreme. Yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah, I love that guy. Uh, yeah. Well, that's so amazing. We're almost done, though. Um, yeah. So, yeah. So, basically, Death's Head and Wolverine ambush Wrathchild, and they can't really do much. Uh, Wrathchild is then distracted when Tuck appears out of nowhere, and she's healed and tells him how her love for him kept her alive. And he reveals that he's got feelings for her. Only it turns out Tuck isn't Tuck. It's Phaedra, who also has the ability to shapeshift, I guess. And then she and Jubilee start attacking him with energy attacks. 
he starts absorbing it and like grows in size, kind of like a balloon getting inflated. And then okay. he's absorbed so much energy that Phaedra says, oh, he's vulnerable to a physical attack, but only Death's Head can attack him because he's the only one who survives. And Death's Head then takes the Lotus and hits him with it, and he explodes. And <laughs> that's all she wrote. Powers and abilities. Uh, it sounds like he didn't have any real powers before he gained possession of the Lotus, but then he probably had some advanced medical training in his previous life since he was a doctor. Yeah. And he also appears to have some sewing skills because he made the costume before he had powers. <laughs> I mean, looking at the cape, I don't know about, I mean, he, he probably just draped that on, but, but probably, I mean, like also like, I feel like, I feel like he had the skills to make the costume, but not the actual acumen to put together a good looking costume. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then, uh, yeah, he, Gets the Lotus, he begins exhibiting vast, undefined psychic and physical abilities, and when he's within Phaedra's realm, he's basically a god. So people that are looking for this, um, is there a first appearance? There is. Death's Head 2, Volume 2, Number 1, and his last appearance is the same series, Issue Number 4. Oh, and we haven't seen him since the 90s. Okay. No, he's like never come back. I mean, like (laughs) so many many characters from this era... uh, it's probably for the best that we haven't heard from them again. All right. Well, there you go. Uh, we need a fan campaign for bringing back Wrathchild. Do uh, we? But, I don't know uh, about that. I mean, maybe not. But I mean, uh, you know, <laughs> with the right writer, you know, you never know. Eh, maybe. I mean, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's amazing, and uh, I, I love this guy. Uh, he's he's pretty he's pretty epic looking. Um, oh God! All right. Yeah. I'm very excited. Are you ready What's for yours? mine? Yeah. Okay. Um, mine is uh, his name is Doctor Bong. <laughs> My partner Sarah was like, "What's the over under that you're gonna know all of the characters that are being mentioned?" And I was like, "I don't know, man. There's a lot of D list characters out there." <laughs> and like, yep. I, you know, case in point, I've never heard of Doctor Bong. I had not either. And so. this is a character that was created by steve gerber and marie severin the first appearance was in howard the duck 15 this is a howard the duck villain he looks like a howard the duck villain i just got your pictures (laughs) and uh and so to describe what he looks like he's wearing this kind of purple uh purple suit with a gold sort of wrestling belt with a bell on it Uh, his left hand is uh a gold ball and mm-hmm. his head is he's wearing a helmet that is shaped like a bell with kind of a a face in it like if dr yeah. doom was a bell um and he is called dr bong and yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh, first appearance was in 1977 and so he's been around for um quite a while is that like is his hand supposed to be like the clapper that they put inside the bell to ring it is that yeah what they're going for oh okay. i'm gonna tell you how oh, i have okay. a whole sorry sorry story of why his hand is like that his other hand's fine by the way it's just he's just wearing a glove um <laughs> <laughs> dr fong both doctors we we've both picked doctors there's a lot of evil doctors out there yeah what's what's up dr science um his his real name is lester verde Okay. Or uh, I'm going to say Verde. It's V-E-R-D-E. Dr. Bong is an evil genetic scientist who has a bell-shaped helmet that can be struck to create several effects. Uh, So originally, Lester was a kid that was severely bullied until his mother learned how he would use creative insults at his tormentors 
and inspired him to become a writer. So he took up journalism and even used slander journalism to get one of his professors fired when he accused him of writing unethical articles. So already kind of off to some bad tendencies. Okay, but seriously, like this sounds like my origin story up until that last part. <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> All right. Up until getting the professor fired. And that's like, oh, okay, well, we took different paths. <laughs> During college, Verde also took a life drawing class with Beverly Sveitzler. Uh, I think that's how you say it. It's Switzler, maybe, mm. uh, as the model. He had avoided women other than his mother up until this point in his life. And oh, he asked no. Beverly out. And, of course, unfortunately, was rejected. He's that guy. Yeah. Um, he, he's kinda, he was kind of creepy, like, oh, I like you. And then he saw her in a life drawing class. And it's like, oh, don't ask out the model. That's, no, that's dude. Good. Like, you've seen her naked. Don't do that so, again. So then he found the parents of Beverly's boyfriend, David, and told them false stories of his lurid behavior with his elaborate words and, and storytelling skills. David was forced by his parents to leave the college and soon died <laughs> in a car crash on his way to visit Beverly. <laughs> you guys, my face as this was being read to me. Oh, my God. <laughs> we haven't even gotten why he's <laughs> like this is just this is before Ooh. he even becomes a villain. So Lester made a career as a tabloid journalist, mm-hmm. uh, but was still infatuated with Beverly. So he starts writing as a rock critic because, okay. uh, you know, he's. He, he thinks, hey, rock and roll is, is cool, right? So he's like, and that's, he'll still get Beverly to like me. Wait, so his so his thing is he's like, I'm going to get this one specific girl yep. interested in me. I'm not going to take up a musical instrument and like actually put any effort into it. I'm just going to. He's going he's gonna to write. Okay. As a rock critic. Uh-huh. Right? Okay. So, and then to do that as a rock critic, he wants to infiltrate a popular band called Mildred Horowitz. Okay. I'm assuming it's a play on like, uh, like Led Zeppelin or, or Van Halen, like a yeah, name. Yes, maybe some sort of in joke. I couldn't find the, the reference to Mildred Horowitz, but I, I'm guessing it's some sort of weird in joke mm-hmm. from the late seventies, uh, to expose their decadent lifestyle. So, Lester does this by dressing up in a bunny costume during the shows that the band pretends to fight during the show. So he's not playing an instrument. He's playing a a character that the band fights like during the late okay. 70s stage shows. But and then one of the things they do is they use a prop guillotine. And one night there's it goes badly and it chops off his left hand. <laughs> this is why later he is able to easily attach a large metal ball for a hand. That was a long story Oof. to get to a really dumb hand attachment, which is just a big metal ball <laughs> on his hand. Man, I there, there's more <laughs> <laughs> at some point uh, later. Um, Schweitzer and the other dimensional Howard the Duck are captured and transported to the island of Dr. Bong, now a fully costumed villain with a purple outfit, red cape and large bell for a helmet. So basically what happens is the first time we see Dr. Bong is in Howard the Duck. And it's during this, like they get captured, they get transported magically or somehow. And we see him fully realized. We don't find out all of this backstory stuff until much later. And, and it, and as far as I can tell, no one knows how he got genetic education. Like no one knows how he got to be 
a doctor in genetic. He's a writer. Yeah, <laughs> Somehow he say. became a doctor in genetics. And like, did he this... even go to an advanced journalism program? Like, did he maybe get a doctorate in journalism? I, I don't, I don't I know. Don't, it's, it, it never explains that. that. Just there's a weird gap. Somehow, you know, forces, he says, Beverly, you need to marry me. And he actually turns Howard into a human for a short time. Eventually, Howard gets his powers back and he turns back into a duck. That, that's kind of his his kind of brief origin story. Later, he gave up genetics for psychology and actually treated Deadpool as a psychologist after the oh. events of Dead Reckoning. Uh, he was later in a support group called Villains Anonymous, along with Boomerang, Hippo, Porcupine, Grizzly, looter mirage and others which i think this might be the the idea for that villain support group in she hulk which i actually uh, thought was great but i know. love that i love those episodes i thought they were i thought they were really fun yeah um yeah so how he became skilled in genetics and has a big metal bell for a helmet is still unknown it's still opportunity okay. powers and abilities lester verde is an accomplished writer journalist and genetic scientist <laughs> His main weapon is a bell-shaped helmet, which creates a number of effects when struck. Uh, they can consist of concussive blasts powerful enough to bend metal and the ability to teleport. I mean, that's pretty cool. Uh, he can also teleport people to a different place, so more than one p- person. He possesses the equipment to teleport his entire castle across vast distances. Okay, hold on. Like... I'm sorry, but he has a castle. He has a castle. He was able to afford a castle on a journalist's salary. I mean, again, so there's this big gap between I got my no, hand chopped no, off. No, 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 Marvel. And then, no. and then he's a costume villain with a bell on his head, and he's a genetic scientist. As someone, as someone who worked as a journalist, <laughs> you know. And then they were like, "Well, we have the end result, and we have an origin. Let's just put them together and." Somewhere in the middle. <laughs> Fighting an other dimensional duck, fine. Yeah. It, like weird advanced. We super believe science, that. Fine. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I refuse to buy into <laughs> the castle. story that he has a castle when he was working as a music journalist. I'm yep. sorry. This is mm-hmm. too far. Too far. His castle is in the Himalayas. No. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <sighs> okay. Um, he can also uh create highly effective illusions through unknown means, perhaps involving holography. His primary (laughs) device for genetic manipulation is called the Evolvo Chamber and can transform any animal from one species to another or give the animal humanoid characteristics or create clones from cell samples and accelerate their aging. So kind of like the high evolutionary. I was going to say, so we just plagiarized the high evolutionary. Yeah, kind of. Someone needs to do an expose on this dude. (laughs) The New York times or the Washington post. Yeah. Yeah. Needs to investigate one of their own. Mm -hmm. Uh, Antagonists include Howard, the duck, she Hulk, Deadpool, Colleen wing and Misty Knight interrogated him at one point. Uh, Moon Knight, uh, because he made clones of Moon Knight and Black Widow. And then, of course, they found out and, like, kicked his butt. Um, and then the Secret Avengers and Spider-Man recently uh, rounded him and a group uh, that, he, uh, that he hired called the Headmen uh, mm. broke into the Beyond Corporation and tried to use its echoic chamber to become a god. A god where he, st- he was stopped by Spider-Man and turned over to shield. So that's his okay. most recent appearance is he tried to basically use echo powers with his bell to turn himself into godlike powers, but failed. 
Okay, so he appeared in Howard the Duck, but he's still appearing across the Marvel Universe. Yeah, most okay. recently it was 2014, so it's almost been 10 years okay. since he was stopped, and presumably he's in the raft or, or some sort of shield shield detention center. All right. So, But he has you know jumped around. He wasn't just a Howard the Duck villain, and, and writers kept bringing him back for... I mean, you know, She-Hulk... He showed up in She-Hulk. He showed up in Deadpool. So clearly that kind of community. Yeah, he's in that wacky category. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, yeah, he's, that's. He's, he's a wacky villain, but <laughs> kind of powerful. Like, yeah. he's got a lot of powers. He's just not one that's going to be taken too seriously. Yeah, that that's so interesting. I love the fact that he actually lost his hand and has turned it into the clapper. <laughs> Maybe that's what inspired him. He's like, what am I going to? I got to put something on this. Uh, oh, I'll I'll turn my helmet into a bell. I mean, like, I guess I don't know. <laughs> I, it's <laughs> not it's not the fact that he has a bell for a helmet. It's the fact that we don't know why or like how he got that yeah. training. It's that's that missing. The, yeah, there's a lot of gaps in his story. <sighs> yeah, that's what bottles. bothers me more. <laughs> OK, who do you got? Who's next? OK, Um, <laughs> I feel like this is just going to it's going to go downhill. <sighs> It, no, this one very much is. So have you ever heard of the comic book, The New Guardians from DC? I might have to see it, but. OK, no, that's fine. So so you're going in blind on this one. Okay. Yeah, I don't think so. OK, so this villain is called Hemo Goblin. Your face. <laughs> it's a look. Wow. Wow. It's like if someone took Count Orlock from Nosferatu and oh. then put him in like, like kind of like a ladies one piece bathing suit. He's wearing a, a gymnast. Yeah, a leotard. Like a gymnastics yeah, yeah, yeah. unitard. Yeah. <laughs> but, but I'm like, like I saw this picture originally and I was like, I've actually oh, seen geez. this. I've seen this outfit several times in Folsom Street in San Francisco. Like this oh isn't that God. far out there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Cause he has this is like he, leather cross harness. Yeah, so I'm going to get to that in a second. Okay, okay, okay. All right, Hemogoblin, uh, we don't ever find out his real name. He was created by Steve Englehart and Joe Staten for The New Guardians Number 1, which came out in September of 1988. So I need to give a little bit of backstory. Yeah, go ahead. This comic was... Well, okay, so during the 1988 crossover event Millennium from DC Comics... The Guardians of the Universe and their Zamoran counterparts decided to head off to the cosmic equivalent of Florida for some, in quotes, well-earned retirement. And I was like, mm, really? Because I feel like you guys keep on causing a lot of problems. Maybe, maybe well-earned is not the best descriptor, but okay. They selected 10 pretty random people across the planet to become the new Guardians of the Galaxy. Um, not all of them make it to the end of this Millennium event. A couple of them died. One of them was senile. And then another guy was named Jan William Crofe, and he happens to be a minister in apartheid South Africa. So being a white supremacist, he wasn't too thrilled about being on a team that was otherwise populated by people of color. And also one person who was openly queer. He wound up quitting the group before the event was over and and before everyone else received their powers, and he was such a racist asshat that Jon Stewart punched him in the face with a fist from his power ring, which I thought was just chef's kiss. Amazing. Like, yeah, it was very good. Okay, so fast forward to after Millennium. The rest of the group has got their superpowers unlocked. They are joined by Harbinger, who we were originally introduced to during Crisis on Infinite Earths, 
and the Floronic Man, and they have established themselves as a super team known as the New Guardians. Jan William Crofe, meanwhile, is still mad that there is a diverse group of superheroes out there who got powers when he didn't, and so he makes it his mission in life to destroy them. And in the New Guardians number one, Crofe is in South Africa. He is talking to Dr. Van Court, who reveals that his facility has successfully created a vampire, I guess. They name him Hemogoblin, and Van Court's assistant actually goes into detail explaining the name in like painful detail. Like he's like, oh yeah, like from the Greek like hemo from the Greek word of whatever, meaning blood. And I'm like, really? Right. Like, come on. Like, okay. <laughs> Let's break it down just so everyone knows. I'm like, this is this is how we're choosing to spend our time on the page. Okay. Uh <laughs> Yeah, and then, you know, we see him feast on a person of color, and then Crofe gives him a whole speech about how leftist ideas of brotherhood will eventually cause societal downfall because it's going to undo all of the, I don't know, it's a lot of white supremacist talking points. Like, mm. I was actually reading this, and I'm like, I'm pretty sure that I've seen people quoting this nonsense on Facebook lately, but okay. Um, so Crofe Do needs... white supremacists also not have eyebrows? <laughs> well... <laughs> I don't know. They always look like thumbs, man. Like, yeah. let's be honest. Yep. Just a bunch so, of thumbs. Yeah. So Crofe tells Hemogoblin that he needs him to help destroy the new guardians and save the world for white people. And then Hemogoblin and Vancourt's assistant travel to SoCal in order to attack the heroes. So I my neck to... of the woods. Yeah. No, they, they're like living in like this moat, this pink motel in Hollywood. It's very, it's very silly. Oh, okay. So like two things before we go any further. When Hemogoblin is introduced, Vancourt's assistant specifically calls out that two of the new guardians don't have blood, but the rest of them will be vulnerable to Hemogoblin's attacks. So I'm like, all right, so you're already setting this dude up for failure because he can't, like, he already is useless against two people. Yeah. Okay, second, literally the only thing that Hemogoblin says throughout the entire issue (laughs) is the word yes. (laughs) <laughs> which like it works fine when he's responding yeah. to people who are like asking him questions or making sure that he's on board. stuff. it's weird when he launches a surprise attack on jet, who is one of the new guardians when she is outside a nightclub, which yeah. side note, they go dancing at a nightclub in their costumes. It's very dumb. Like mm. this is, this is not a good comic. Yeah. So he just is, attacks her. Yes. That's literally how it is. <laughs> that is literally what happens. I mean, is, that's kind of terrifying. If you, it's so that. bizarre. So he attacks Jet. He's able to hold her his own against her. He goes so far as to like bite her on her abdomen. And but then he has to retreat when like more of the team shows up and he's got more than one opponent. Sure. He manages to escape. The new guardians track him back to the airport Hilton that he's staying at. It's literally an airport Hilton. Like they, they call that out when they check him in <laughs> and then he is no match for the entire team. He does manage to slash extraño who is the openly queer man with his claws, but that's really about it. He's captured. And then we find out he died off camera while he was in custody because he had an accelerated, accelerated metabolism and he was actually sick with AIDS, which yeah. leads to a whole subplot about members of the team being infected with HIV from the wounds he inflicted. Holy moly moly. So Hemogoblin is literally a white supremacist AIDS vampire. Jeez. He is literally, like, he's easily the most offensive character I've ever come across in comics, but also one of the lamest because he's just genuinely bad at his job. I actually kind of, like, always think of him as the mascot for the entire New Guardians comic because it was this weird (laughs) attempt to tell a topical story 
related yeah, to like, current like, event issues. They they do this like the next villain is a character named Snowflame, who is a Colombian drug dealer who is like pyrokinetic and he's powered by cocaine, which okay, I legit love. I think that's great. I think it's so dumb. Um, <laughs> sure. But but the pro- but the thing is, is I was like, no, I just just because I, you can doesn't mean you should. Yeah, like, <laughs> like it's you could try to tell a story and say a message, but like there might be a better way. To yeah, do and that's the whole thing is like everything about the new Guardians is just like weirdly offensive and and silly and not very good. Like you just you kind of sit there and you keep on reading it because you want to watch the train wreck, but <laughs> but you can't <laughs> you can't take it seriously, yeah. and it's it's really bad. Like yeah. Wow. Um, I don't know. I mean, I also have I have a really big soft spot for D-list characters, and I think there's a lot of D-list characters where, yeah, they're not well known or they haven't had more than a handful of appearances, but they're really good. They're really fun. Mm. I I think Snowflame is one of the funniest villains I've ever seen, but of the new Guardians, like, you know, villains, I don't want to talk about him as much as the white supremacist AIDS vampire, because when you say those words, everybody sits there and does a double take and they go, I'm yeah. sorry, what? In a gymnast unitard (laughs) and a leather daddy harness yeah like you know (laughs) i mean okay all right (laughs) that's that's hemogoblin yep he his first and only appearance is in the new guardians number one wow and uh yeah i don't know he doesn't really seem to have any superpowers because yes we we i don't know he's got fangs he feeds on blood um he's got claws he can cut skin like presumably enhanced strength and durability since he's able to fight everybody in the team and survive. And then he's not vulnerable to sunlight because we see him arriving at the airport and checking into his hotel during the day. And maybe that's because he was created in the lab. I don't know. That's about it. Checks into a hotel. Oh, he's with the other guy. Like he's, he's sitting there and he's got like, he's got this like jacket and floppy hat on and sunglasses. And like, but you see, he's got like the fangs sticking out of his mouth and everything. You're just like, okay, like you weren't even trying. (laughs) Uh, all right so that's my second choice all right um <laughs> uh, i you might have heard of this one i this this may be one okay. that uh is potentially one that you've well i don't know i mean maybe the next two i picked crazy quilt it's a nope. dc it's a dc villain have you heard of crazy quilt okay i'm gonna say I mean, like i might have but it's not ringing a bell he's been in a few adaptations but um this is his picture he is basically <laughs> what <laughs> <laughs> he's basically I, wearing uh, a costume that is patchwork all these different colors and he's got this helmet with a red yellow and blue lasers on top of his head with a pencil thin vincent price kind of mustache yeah, and yeah. and uh that's crazy quilt and i genuinely thought this was like a variation of a rag man for a minute <laughs> i like, mean kind of yeah that's that is a, that is a look Okay, but here's here's the thing that's really interesting with this. I I just picked him based on like, oh yeah, that's interesting. And then I looked him up. He was created by Jack Kirby. That checks out. Like Kirby, <laughs> man, like I love Jack Kirby, but a lot of his stuff is pretty out there. But very much like like a depression era guy that just like has a bunch of a bunch of different patterns on his yeah. uh on his outfit and it gets a little bit more like like super villainy later on but he's wearing this kind of like floppy like panhandler 
hat and he's got a big old paintbrush and a gun in his first appearance, which is Boy Commandos number 15 in 1946. <laughs> Boy Commandos. And this is the other thing. There have been three crazy quilts in DC. I love that there have been multiple incarnations of this guy where they're like, yeah, yeah crazy quilt is a name that we want to reuse. Okay. Let's bring back him. Um, so the first identity was unknown. They never found out who he is. The okay. second crazy quilt, which is probably the most, I guess, longevity wise, like one that's been around the longest, uh, was known as Paul Decker. And okay. there was also most recently a female version of Crazy Quilt whose identity is also unknown. So originally he is a painter who leads a double life as a criminal. He leaves plans. This seems unnecessarily complicated. He leaves <laughs> plans for his henchmen for his crimes uh, for various henchmen through clues in his painting. Like he makes a painting. Like he can't even like just send them a letter or something. It's like you have to be an art critic to like... <sighs> I don't I don't know, man. It was the depression like <laughs> like I'm an artist and it's hard to create a work of art, get it into a gallery, get it sold like he would go through all this work just to be like, meet me tonight at the red door. In. You know, like, <laughs> <laughs> like, And there's a red door, you know, inside the paint. Oh this God. just seems unusual. This is Kirby like lashing out at some sort of like, I'll show them. Yeah, <laughs> like, right artists can be clever too so anyway when one of his henchmen probably frustrated at this whole like communication thing uh double crosses him he uh shoots him and it blinds crazy quilt um who is not crazy quilt right now he's mm -hmm. basically kind of like this painter but so, he's still a criminal mastermind he's still a criminal well okay he's a criminal mind let's put it that way yeah fair um he so the guy uh we'll just call him paul decker so he volunteers for an experimental procedure that restores his vision but he's unable to see anything but bright colors this obviously drives him mad and he okay. continues as the notorious villain crazy quilt now, in the second version of the of Crazy Quilt, the post-crisis retelling, Paul Decker uh, has the same kind of initial origin. He gets shot by a henchman, mm -hmm. but then he kidnaps a doctor to help him restore his sight after being wounded. And then Batman and Robin intervene, and it's Robin that actually reflects the light beams that are supposed to cure his vision back into his newly restored eyes, permanently blinding him again after his procedure is done okay so, which robin are we talking about are we talking well it's about? it's it's dick grayson but okay. this uh, this so this leads to one of the few villains that hates robin more than batman so and it ex actually extends his <laughs> hatred to subsequent uh robin Good. so the next time he Good. shows up he's like robin and it's actually jason todd and he, he and jason todd's like I don't know you. Like, why are you mad at me? Yeah, he's going full Mariah Carey. <laughs> and he's and like, like, I don't I know her. Joe Robin. Yeah, exactly. He's just, <laughs> and he's like, look, I'm just, I'm just a dude in a costume. And <laughs> so that's, um, that's crazy. <laughs> origin. Uh, his powers and abilities include having a helmet that allows him to hypnotize his victims using colorful flashing lights. Okay. Uh, it can project lethal laser beams and function as artificial eyes since because his original eyes don't work anymore. So the lenses feed their input signals straight into his brain and all versions of Crazy Quilt possess this gadgetry expertise. The dude literally has a cure for being blind. Yeah. And he's just some petty dealer serial and I love it. Just, yeah, I love comic books. <laughs> he sees in like 3D vision, like color 
like all these different colors. <laughs> Why hasn't he patented this yet? There's a plot where he takes the color away from Gotham. Okay, like I don't. And everything is like Robin jumps in to fight him, and then he just like saps out all of his color, and he's all of a sudden grayscale. And okay. he's like, oh no! <laughs> but it, it doesn't change the fight, and Robin just continues to. <laughs> Which version of him was this? Was this the, the, the post crisis? The, the middle one, yeah, the post crisis one. Okay. I was going to say that sounds like something that we would have seen in like the 60s. I love it. Yeah, yeah. It's very, it's very 60s y. So, antagonists include Batman, uh, most of the Robins, uh, mm-hmm. Batgirl, the Suicide Squad. He has been adapted a couple of times. He was in the Lego Batman movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's an episode of Batman Brave and the Bold where he appears. Oh, that's and he's cool. Voiced, he's voiced by Jeffrey Tambor, which is, which oh. is pretty notable. Yeah. Um, and he was also in the Music Meister episode as one of the guys in the prison that's like singing along. <laughs> and then most recently in the comics, it, he, he appeared in Justice League Cry for Justice in 2009 as one of the villains that attacks the Justice League. Okay. So he's hasn't been used in a while but he's still out there and there is a female version which basically has the same outfit and she has the same thing i couldn't find out if she was actually blind as well or she just kind of used the helmet but crazy quilt (laughs) god good times okay last pick all right what you got have you ever heard of dr decay no i'm guessing you haven't (laughs) I love this. <laughs> Would you like to describe his look? Uh, yeah. Um, okay. So, okay. So he's wearing a purple, a purple suit, uh, mm-hmm. top and pants. Uh, but the the top is like a military like side buttons, and he's wearing he's got like light purple gloves, and he and he's got kind of like uh, an Apple Vision Pro on his yeah, eyes, kinda. and and his mouth. It's kind of like a diamond mouth or like a metal mouth. And yeah. His teeth, his teeth are metal. And he's yeah. like, <laughs> that's yeah. what he's doing. Yeah. Uh, I describe him as a mashup of Joker and Trapjaw from He-Man. <laughs> Trapjaw, I was going to say, yeah. 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 Very Trapjaw. Yeah. Like Jaws from like the guy Jaws from uh from Bond. James Bond. Yeah. 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 He's got like, you know, it's that there, there are only a couple of people who have that look, you know? It's, but he's got like green hair too, and yeah. And his his word bubble in the in the panel you sent me says, "Get ready to rot, world! I've got power to burn, and my decay rays are energized to the maximum. Soon, millions will feel the wrath of Doctor Decay." Yeah, so we're gonna talk about that in a sec. Oh, yeah, let's. I'm ready. Let's go. All right. Uh, main alias uh, is Doctor Decay. No idea what his real name is. It's never revealed. Cool. He was created by Michael Stewart and Al Milgram, but he was also probably like co-created by Lighthouse Creative in Atlanta because they had come up with the concept for the characters of Kids Water Hydrators, which was a brand of Kids Water that then was using superheroes as part of their marketing campaign. Is this a dental villain? No. Well, kind of. Like, <laughs> so, yeah, like. But he first appeared, and his only appearance is in the six-page comic of Kids Water Hydrators, number two. Okay, okay. Yeah, Kids Water Hydrators were, like... Instead of, like, kids shouldn't drink soda, this is... Yeah, so it was a brand of fluoridated water. Oh, my gosh. It's it's called Kids Water, spelled with a Z. Sure. 
Uh, we recently did an episode on it. I actually was able to like track down the origin and everything because it just nobody had done it. And it turns out oh my God. that this brand of water had commissioned a creative agency to come up with a new marketing campaign. They came up with these idea with this idea for superheroes called the Hydrators. And then in all four of these mini comics that they packaged with other Marvel comics, they fight a different villain and then teach kids about the importance of like staying hydrated and why water is good for you. So anyway, at some point in the past, Dr. Decay's teeth were ruined. It is clearly a source of trauma that drove him down a path of mega villainy. He built himself some mechanical chompers and then set out to make the world feel his pain Mm. from his, (laughs) he operates from a mountain fortress and it is there that the good doctor develops a ray that will decay people's teeth on a mass scale. His first targets happen to be kids attending a birthday party in a park where the hydrators just happen to be in attendance because they are friends with the kid who is having mm-hmm. the party. Poor choice. Yeah. <laughs> the kid's teeth, like all the kid's teeth at the party start to decay, but it's quickly solved when the hydrators leader Hydro sits there and starts handing out bottles of fluoridated water. And he's like, fluoride is good for your teeth and it'll, pre- it'll prevent decay. Uh, and, and, hydro- and looking at the picture, it's the, the decay ray. It, basically it's, there's three switches. It's off on decay ray. Like those are, yep. the, those are the settings. Yep. Yeah. And it's just him. He has no helpers. Like, you know, yep. <laughs> like impressive. So the hydrators are like, Oh, there's this weird energy that's targeting their teeth. And so they, track the energy back to the mountain lair. They destroy the satellite dish that is beaming out this energy. They then confront the villain. Dr. Decay pulls out a, I'm not making this up. It's called a decay blaster. It's, I guess it's a portable decay ray shaped like a pistol. He tries to Mm -hmm. shoot the heroes. They block it with an ice shield, presumably made out of fluoridated water. And then they blast him with water of their own, which then shorts out his mechanical teeth and knocks him out. It's kind of horrific. I'm like, oh, my God, he's getting electrocuted by his teeth. And we don't know. I'm assuming that he he would die from that. Like, it's like, is he yeah. dead? Because he's like, he's in quotes, knocked out. But like, is he dead? Come on, he might be dead. Like, <laughs> But uh, or just yeah. very, very clean. Like, yeah, you know. <laughs> it scrubbed his brain. <laughs> then, ah, it, yeah. It's so minty. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and then there are jokes about uh about how Decay's spirits are dampened and he's all washed up. The end. Oh. Yeah. I like in the in the first panel it shows hydro, crystal, ice, misty, extreme, and vapor. Spell Together, out extreme. Are... You need to spell it. X dash S T R E A M. Extreme. <laughs> yep. I love it. He's apparently got some advanced science training. He's got mechanical teeth. He's vulnerable to fluoride. That's all I got. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I, yeah, I mean, you know, he serves a purpose and, and there's very few villains that I know of that specifically go after teeth. Yeah. And I feel like that's, that's kind of a, like, that's a good MO. Like, like, and everybody loves teeth. I mean, if you don't have teeth, you can't like, it's just kind of, my it's hard dream. to like interview and you know oh, I, mean, yeah. like, I mean you could just go for t- like people go for like i'm gonna go for your family or i'm gonna make all your powers go away i'm gonna make your worst stress dream come come to reality i'm gonna make all your teeth fall out in front of your family and friends <laughs> yeah, gonna make all your teeth fall out <laughs> no my dream my dream is for the hydrators to come back and have a crossover with captain america because dr decay and the red skull teamed up 
And like, and I, I right. think this would actually be great because Captain America would be like, oh yeah, I remember what it was like before we had fluoridated water. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I yeah. think this could be like a marketing, just masterpiece. And mm-hmm. no, you know, this is why nobody pays me to write comics. <laughs> okay, um, I have one more, and again, this one maybe you might have seen um, because it has been adapted in live action. which I didn't really realize until I I picked it and I was like, oh, I wonder. And then I looked it up and I was like, oh, yep, there it is. So um, (laughs) let me share an image. Lay it on me. My body is ready. This is Animal Vegetable Mineral Man. What? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Okay. I am woefully behind on my Doom Patrol TV show. I think I got through the end of the first season, maybe. He was in the first season. Was he? Okay, then maybe I didn't get as far as I thought I did. Yeah, I guess he was just briefly at the end of episode three. Mm. And and then he they make like he wasn't like a main villain character, but he was just kind of he was like showed up as as like, hey, I'm still in here. And (laughs) I saw the clip on YouTube. And then later on, it shows like security camera footage of a botched robbery from a convenience store and the <laughs> why don't you describe what you see here of what this guy looks like <laughs> and all right so which one do you want which one man. do you want me to describe do you want me to describe uh, the comic cover or the animated kind, bit? kind of the second one i the guess the second one all right so man okay he is just it's it's like it's like if you told AI that you wanted a bunch of different things <laughs> in one person. Yeah. So we've got like the main torso and half a face of this dude with white hair. Uh, he is wearing, you know, possibly like a wrestler's leotard. Yeah. You know, um, there's like the tank top and the shorts. And then the other half of his torso is a T-Rex, but it's yep. the whole head of the T-Rex. Yep. Like, so basically half this dude's face just suddenly merges with the neck of this Mm -hmm. T-Rex. The T-Rex is pink. Um, And then it looks like his arms on on the half of his body. So his right side are made out of wood. Yeah. um, Vines and stuff like that. I mean, like like the lower half of his right arm looks like it's hair. But I, I think it's just kind of like an artistic representation of like wood and how it flows and everything. Yeah. Uh, and then his left arm from about the elbow down and then his left leg from roughly the knee looks like it's crystal. Am I get, yeah. Like, am I, it's yeah, like okay. a crystally crystalline rock kind of something. The yeah. mineral, if you will. Yeah. All right. It's a yep. look. It's, it's a, a, it's a vibe. This is a This is a real character in dc um so animal vegetable mineral man or avm man his real name is sven larsen he looks like a sven he does uh he is a swedish scientist and a <laughs> former student of dr niles calder from uh-huh. but they had a falling out after larsen accused calder of stealing his idea for the anti-decay ray <gasps> decay ray wait a minute <laughs> anti decay ray so maybe this guy was like anti dr decay and he's like <laughs> i have an idea dr called no sven no it's <laughs> no not one's gonna, gonna work no one's we, gonna come up with a decay ray we don't need the, it the fluoride kits already have that taken care of larson gains his superpowers after falling into a vat of amino acids 
Okay. <laughs> this gave him the right arm and leg of a plant, the left arm and leg of diamonds, and a half torso of a Tyrannosaurus with half of his human head shown to be fused with part of the Tyrannosaurus's neck. He uses powers to get revenge on Calder and his Doom Patrol. The Doom Patrol defeat Larson and are able to remove his powers. So far. Mm-hmm. <laughs> powers and abilities. He can change any part of his body into animal, vegetable, or mineral forms, as well as combining several at once. In most appearances, he possesses an extensive knowledge of biology, and Mm. it mostly fights the Doom Patrol. His first appearance, by the way, was Doom Patrol 89 in 1964, and he was created by Arnold Drake and Bruno Primiani. He has appeared in live action in the Doom Patrol TV show, as well as animated form in Teen Titans Go and Batman the Brave and the Bold. Yeah, he seems like something that would show up in Teen Titans Go. I've watched a lot of Teen Titans Go lately. He's most recently appeared in the Doomsday Clock storyline, where he's shown as being part of India's superhero team called The Doomed, gaining a reputation for eating their foes. Okay, I've read Doomsday Clock. I don't remember that, but it was a while ago. I guess there was an an India India based super team that okay. go after Superman. I, or like, something. I, don't, I don't remember it. Like it's been a while and I've like, there was a lot that I kind of glossed over in that comic. Well, in that one, he, his head is a little, his T-Rex head is a little smaller and it's like half of the human head and half of like a Raptor head, but oh, his weird. mouth kind of shows that. And it shows like how he basically tries to eat. I don't know why he eats people, but, but anyway, he's a growing boy. Yeah, he's, you know, at least he found his way onto a team and like other people were like, cool, you can join us, (laughs) AVM man. (laughs) He's just a weird looking dude. And I was like, what? And then uh, and then, yeah, then, of course, they've uh, I was like, oh, of course, he's on the Doom Patrol show. Like, that would make sense because that's a because I mean, like the Doom Patrol in general are just a giant fever dream. So. Yeah, it's just some there's some weird stuff. Let me show you this picture real quick of him from the live action show, because it's hilarious. Does it say something that like Lance absolutely adores the Doom Patrol? Like, does it say something about his taste? (laughs) Maybe a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God, that's. That looks awful. (laughs) That looks horrifying. The live action. Oh, my God. No, (laughs) do not want. Yep. Like that—that's a thing. <laughs> he's like Lord. covered in rocks. He's got a little raptor head. He's got a plant. At least arm he's and... got two heads. At least he's got his original head, like all the yeah, way. Yeah, and in the live action, he has two heads. They didn't fuse the head together, but yeah. But um, man, what what a a short straw to draw if you're gonna be a villain, oh, man. you're gonna look like this guy. <laughs> um, so not so good for Sven Larsen. Yeah. So so wait. So hold on. The Swedish guy gets thrown on the Indian super team. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> yep. I'm, I'm like, all right, well, I guess they don't require citizenship or maybe they. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> awesome. Well, I think that's all of our, uh, all of our D listers that we we've had. We've I mean, I can keep going all night. Like, I know we, we definitely got to do a part two of this. And I think this is one of those, like it's time to pull this back. Uh, so I, but I'm curious, like, if you're listening to this, please let us know. Leave a review and let us know what D-list characters that you want to see. Go on our go on to our 
Twitter and Threads. We have now joined Threads as oh, of this hey. weekend. Nice. Um, so you can find Comic Book Keepers on Threads and Instagram, of course. Um, but before we sign off, uh, Mike, is there anything you want to tell us about upcoming things on uh, Tencent Takes or uh, projects you guys are working on? Uh, sure. Where can we, we find you on social media? We are Tencent Takes, all one word. Uh, on every platform uh, we are also on threads as well as blue sky um, right. and twitter you know everywhere we have just recorded an episode about the beauty and the beast tv show tie-in comics from the Ooh. 80s okay we are having david Booher on later this week to record uh he wrote specs as well as an adaptation of joe hill's reign um wonderful writer we're really excited to have him on we're gonna be talking nice. about fright night the old eighties iconic horror yeah, movie. Yeah. Yeah. And then it had, it had like a, I want to say a close to 25 issue comic series. Oh, wow. Yeah. In the eighties as well. I think that's the, the big stuff that we have currently on the docket, but you know, who knows? We always kind of come up with stuff at the last minute too. And we never know what we're going to be recording for dollar bin discoveries. So it's always, yeah. always an adventure. <laughs> well, we love your show. Lance and I both, uh, you know, love, uh, devouring it and and i think it's i think it's really cool just to kind of have a different aspect it's not it's you know it's a different take on uh stuff that maybe you didn't hear of that's what's one thing that we try to do is like here here's some stuff you may not have known about a character and yeah. may not have known about certain things so and i'm sure that many people have not heard of many of the d-list characters that we talked about today so we wanted to highlight them and thank you for coming on the show and it was yeah. a pleasure to thank you so much for having me talk about all these terrible d-list d-listers it. and uh we'll definitely have you back to talk about more if, if uh, yeah you should bring interested. on jessica too like i'm sure she would yeah sure she would come with some wild d-list characters maybe maybe we'll do a uh a quadruple panel oh, d-list where lance and i and you and jessica will all pick a d-list characters and we'll see who who is the d of them all yeah, all right. So this is our pitch for getting into Comic-Con with a panel, right? Yes. Yeah, yes. all right, perfect. I'm in. <laughs> we need a live D-list panel. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. All right, so it's time to close the book on our D-list character list. So until next time, this is Chris. And this is Mike. Reminding you to keep your friends close. But your comic books closer. <laughs>